Um, Would you open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 28? Our last sermon on Matthew was supposed to be Easter. We've been in it for quite a while, those of you who are new. And uh, we're going to spend at least a couple more weeks on it after today. Um, But we will, we are... We are getting to the end. Um, The last chapter of Matthew is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then the story of the guards lie about what happened at at the tomb. And then verses 16 to 20 are often referred to as the Great Commission. And the Great Commission makes evangelicals, most of us identify ourselves as evangelicals, it makes us sort of go all warm and fuzzy because evangelical is the good news, the gospel, the evangel. And so evangelicalism are people who are committed to doing evangelism. And if there's anything that holds Bible-believing Christians together in this country, it is our commitment to being evangelistic. My thesis over the next few weeks, and it's simply me submitting to Scripture, that's why I'm going to preach it, is that it's a big smoke and mirrors thing in evangelicalism that we claim to be doing evangelism, but we're not doing it. And the reason is that evangelism starts with the authority of Jesus Christ. But evangelicalism starts with the rejection of authority. And you go, well, how does evangelicalism reject authority? Evangelicalism has a high view of Scripture. And what I would say to you is evangelicalism makes a show of having a high view of Scripture, but I can absolutely guarantee to you that people that come into this church from a number of evangelical colleges, which, which will remain nameless, all right, are some of the hardest nuts to crack when it comes to leading them as Titus II women lead younger women, as elders lead younger men, as I and the other pastors preach and teach to you. Because evangelical schools today largely inoculate their students against the authority of the Word of God. And so you pull out a particular text as opposed to the text in general. And the particular text never seems to call for obedience. There's always excuses, always explanations, always questions, always suggestions, always... Whereas if you take an honest pagan who has not been corrupted by the church today, and bring him under the authority of Scripture, it's unbelievable what happens if the Holy Spirit works. Because an honest pagan goes from death to life. And the minute they go to life, guess what they go to? They go to submission. Because they haven't been inoculated against submission by the church of Jesus Christ. It's not accidental in the last... 20 or 30 years, there's been a great controversy, and it's called the Lordship Controversy. John MacArthur has been the principal soldier in the gap. Well, the Lordship Controversy is what? It's the controversy between those who say that you can have Jesus Christ as your Savior and not have him as your Lord. We've had a number of people who believe that doctrine here, and I think probably most of them have left now. How do you have Jesus Christ as Savior and not as Lord? So what's going on there? Well, it's just a boring Americanism. It's hatred of authority. What is all the preaching and all the sermons on grace that fill up the Reformed Church in America today? Grace this, grace that, sanctification by grace, graceful preaching, grace, 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 grace. What is it? The subtext of this relentless 
relentless preaching and teaching of grace is the absence of the law of God and the absence of obedience and the absence of lordship, namely the absence of authority. It's very interesting today, whenever you talk about authority, typically people will say to you, what gives you the right? And if you listen to people exercising authority, often you'll hear them say, I have the right. And every time they say that, what does my brain do? If you've been around me long enough, you know what I do. I say, stop, stop, stop. What does this have to do with rights? If I have a position of authority as your father, I don't have the right to tell you what to do. I have the duty, the responsibility. I have had authority delegated to me. And therefore, if I do not exercise authority as the father of this home and the husband of this wife, I will be accountable to God. Do you understand that? What's all this talk of rights? You know, it's as if authority is something to be wielded to protect the beer and the television. You know? I have the right as the head of this home to sit in this chair in front of that TV and choose the channel and drink my beer. And that's what authority is in America today. It's all personal. It's all power. And it's never exercised for any good except the good of the person that holds it. And so, guess what? In the last hundred years, what's happened to movies? Movies about war have changed from the hero being the one who most perfectly submits to authority and dies for his wife and his daughters and his, and his, his homeland, his motherland. So today, if you look at military movies, what's the theme? The theme is absolutely individualism and rebellion against authority. Why? Because the military authority is always corrupt. And listen, I can take you to comedians, I can take you to movies, I can take you to popular music, I can take you to popular preaching, preachers that are famous as opposed to me, all right? I can take you anywhere you want in culture and I can show you the killing of fatherhood, the killing of the father. And you say, well, it's not always fathers. And I say, yeah, yeah, you're right, it's not always fathers. But if you read a profile of a comedian, I can guarantee you at the center of the profile will be the story of a corrupt father. Guarantee it. You know, you're a comedian. Oh, well, you had a lousy father. If you're an atheist, what is it? Paul Vietz has written the book, The Psychology of Atheism, A Theory of Defective Fatherhood. And you say, well, come on, everything comes back to sex here. And I say, no, it's not sex. Sex is a subcategory. The category is authority. That's the category. We hate authority. Our Supreme Court justices hate the authority of the Constitution. And so they spend all their time trying to get around it. You know? It's a living document, <laughs> which means it's dead. All right? Our politicians, what is Obama doing, President Obama today? President Obama is trying to find a way whereby he can take the long-term vision 
for the future, say, of the car companies, and he can somehow keep them from going bankrupt and destroying our economy, but in the short term not appear to be pandering to vested interests. And so is Barack Obama, our president, is he an authority over our nation? Well, a man who spends every single State of the Union pandering to the people he's supposed to be leading is not an authority. This is why I object to President Bush. Okay? He just pandered to us every single speech. I believe that every single citizen ought to be have be able to get down at the local drugstore for free shoelaces. And you all laugh because we never said that. And I say, well, what do you think that the prescription drug program was? <laughs> you know, it's pandering. You know, where did the original, you know, the founders of our country ever talk about prescription drugs being the responsibility of the federal government? Nowhere. I mean, it's a joke. It's pandering. The baby boomers are getting old. Lots of votes there. Prescription drug programs. And so where is the authority of President Bush and where is the authority of Barack Obama? You know where? Scratching, itching ears. And insofar as they scratch our ears well, they will be our president. And insofar as they blow it, they'll be gone. Remember Dean? And that didn't scratch our ears where they itched, and he was gone. <laughs> right? <laughs> Poor Dean. That kind of sounded like it. And so the key to understand contemporary American culture is a hatred for authority. And it's just as much in the evangelical church as it is among comedians. And we hate authority. We hate the authority of fathers over their Household, we hate the authority of husbands over wives. We hate the authority of principals over schools. I was involved with a bunch of work with school administrators in our public school system this week, and it was fascinating. But one of the most interesting things was that the superintendent of schools referred to the principal of South High School as the, um, the location supervisor. Do you remember that? And I thought, here, this is fascinating. Principals are no longer principals. They're administrators, right? That's what Lighthouse calls them, right? Administrate, you know, an administrator. Not a principal, an administrator. And now they're not administrators, but they're the, uh, the one who supervises the location. There was no reference made to the individuals itself, but the location. The, he, the location leader. I mean, that wasn't an exact word, but the word location was used. What is that? It's a hatred of authority. It's, it's smokes and mirrors whereby the principal has an obligation to protect the students I have delegated my parental responsibility to for a day, day after day, right? And now he just guards the location so it's a safe learning environment. And what about professors? It used to be that professors professed. But today, they're just purveyors of a curriculum. They have no obligation to, to disciple souls, right? They just simply impart truth. But then you have to look closely at the truth. 
The grid to understand us today is a hatred for authority. Father's authority, husband's authority, principal's authority, professor's authority, president's authority. What about the military? It used to be that people went in the military to defend the motherland and defend their wives and their children. And today, our daughters go to defend their fathers. Why? Because it pays well. Who goes into the military anymore because it's honorable? You go in because it pays well and you can be all that you're meant to be. What about missionaries? Who goes on short-term mission trips any, anymore because of the glory of Jesus Christ? Today, it's all about me. Somebody recently was describing why they were going to go and do some, some, some work for the church, right? It was all about them. I this and I that and I feel I, 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 I. And it, there was never a mention of the souls that that person would be caring for. Not a mention. Now, in every particular, if you were able to enter into it and you were to look at it, you'd say, well, that's understandable. Well, they didn't really mean that. And, well, you know, if you look under the surface, they really, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And, and so never does anybody ever admit to actually hating authority. It's never about authority. It's just about us getting along with each other. Can't we all just get along? Now, let me ask you a question. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by God, if God called him my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and if God commanded after saying that about this son, listen to him, listen to him, what does that do to the American worldview? What does it do to us? What does it do to our fatherhood? It's pathetic how often I've had fathers tell me that, that you know, you know they, they, they don't approve of their children's choices, but, but they believe that kids should make up their own minds, right? And it's amazing how if that child makes up her mind to be a mother, how quickly the father is absolutely opposed to that child. All of a sudden, it's not her right to make up her own mind. All of a sudden, do you not honor excellence? Is excellence not your God? Is it my God? <laughs> you know? Well, no, Dad, actually, it's Jesus Christ. It's my God. And he said it's the dignity of a woman to give birth to children and to love them. In fact, he's commanded the older women to teach younger women to be keepers at home. Are you saying that women should be barefoot and pregnant? Yeah, 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 actually, that's... <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. Have you noticed my daughters? They're all barefoot and pregnant. So stupid and ignorant my children are. And I've noticed that about mothers. They're, they're really dumb. And barefoot and pregnant. Have you ever noticed that about Christian women? They're so stupid. You can tell them by the way they walk. It's a waddle. Because they're barefoot and pregnant. And so we run and trip and fall all over ourselves trying to prove to the world we're not barefoot and pregnant. 
And where is the authority of Jesus Christ? Where is it? Where is it? We're so busy proving to the world we're not barefoot and pregnant. Here's a dirty little secret. The most attractive woman sexually to a man is a a pregnant woman. You say, I can't believe you said that. You ought to know it. It's helpful. In other words, sex that's fruitful is seductive. I mean, who loves an apple tree until the apples are red? A cherry tree until the cherries are ripe. Raspberry bushes until the raspberries are hanging for the picking. Blueberry bushes. And how about daffodils and tulips? The whole world submits to the order that God has given it without shame and thinks its glory is its fruit. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to run around proving to the world that our women aren't barefoot and pregnant. And so what happens is we take the essence of femininity and you say, oh, there you go again. You know, women that aren't having children aren't women. And I say, oh, come on. Of course they are. Whether it's having children, whether it's providing for a family. The Bible says that the man that doesn't provide for his own is worse than a pagan. That's what the Bible says. And we say, well, you know, there are many, many different ways, different diverse community, faith group kind of pluralistic kind of, you know, different ways of doing things, you know. And and some men, you know, they have wives that can provide. And so it's cool, dude. It's cool. And I'm the mommy, you know. How many times have I run into Christian homes that deny that there's anything about sexuality involved in who stays home with the children and who goes to work, who provides for the family and who nurses the children? And what is this? What is the flipping of the sexual order God gave in the Garden of Eden where Adam was responsible for Eve because when they sinned, God called him to task and it's because of his sin that today you are corrupt. When are we going to begin to believe that the way God set it up in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall has implications for how we live as men and women and instead of trying to tell the world that we're not like that and we're not small-minded about sex and we believe it's gender, not sex, because it's a continuum and it's a social construct and da 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 you know? When are we going to begin to live under the authority of Jesus Christ? As if he rose... As if God vindicated him. Why? Because of his obedience. Why is authority always bad? If we have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus always said, I must do the will of my Father. I am here to obey my Father. Why is it such a shame for us to say, I'm here to obey my husband? Because the world hates authority. And because evangelicals hate it too. And so obedience is shameful. And yet when Jesus rose from the dead and he gave the great commission to his disciples, he said what? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven 
and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all men, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Right? And so evangelists make a big, big show of doing evangelism, but evangelism is to what? Evangelism is like this. This is how Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He says, what many are tending to today is this. They say, take up Christianity. Become a Christian. It will pay you your best life now. I'm a witness to it. And so a short address is given. Notice he doesn't dignify it with the word sermon or preaching. A short address is given. And people are then called upon to testify. Why are people expected to want to accept Christianity? Because it works. It does this. It does that. It promises you happiness. It gives you peace and joy. And then he says, I suggest this is false evangelism. Our one business is to preach the Lord Jesus Christ, the final authority, the Omega. We are told to declare him and that men and women are to come face to face with him. The cults can give you results. Christian science can tell you that if you do this and that, you will sleep well at night. You'll stop worrying. You'll feel healthier. You'll lose your aches and your pains. All the cults can do that sort of thing, but we are not to do that. We are to declare him and to bring people face to face with him. That was his own method. Authority. And authority is women who submit to their husbands and as children who submit to their parents. Authority, they will tell you, is a very, very great liberation. Because a man under authority is a man with perfect freedom. Now, it is true that submitting to authority is a tough thing because most of the authority we submit to here on earth has fallen. It's pastors, elders, husbands, mothers, principals. It's people who fail all the time and who are sinners. But it's not for nothing that the Bible calls Sarah a wonderful example Because she called Abraham Lord, and this same Abraham was the one that kept passing her off as his sister. And the Holy Spirit wasn't surprised by that when he read it in the Old Testament, when he wrote it in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit knew exactly the nature of her husband when it commended her submission to him in the New Testament. The eleven disciples, we read in Matthew 28:16, proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, diversity counts most when it comes to the diversity of religions. And much of the academic enterprise, much of the chattering classes, much of Cultural expressions today are an attempt to make 
to relativize the gods that different people worship and to say that all of them are headed to the same place. And when we properly read Jesus' statement, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. When we properly read that and understand that, it's very liberating if we get it because we're under the one who possesses all the authority of heaven and all the authority of earth. He has all authority. He doesn't share authority with Joseph Smith. He doesn't share it with, Jesus, with Tim Bailey. He doesn't share it with, uh, senator or with a senator or with a president. He doesn't share it with anyone. He has. He possesses all authority. And a father is only a father insofar as he reflects the fatherhood of God. An authority is only an authority insofar as they reflect the authority of God. Now, does this mean we can go about around rebelling against imperfect fathers and imperfect husbands and imperfect mothers? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that we judge all authority by the authority of Jesus Christ. And in the church, particularly because he is the head of the church. But a man or a woman who has been... Delegated authority is the mother of children and refuses to exercise that authority is not properly reflecting the authority of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has appointed a day when he will judge all men. When he will judge. And the minute you and I begin to have in our minds the picture of the judgment seat of God, then we stop apologizing. And we stop thinking about our relationships with the people we're talking to. And we begin to be unbelievably bold. Because we think, you know, it's going to be over quick. Life is short. We live in a veil of tears. Death surrounds us. And this dude, too, is only flesh and blood. And then we have the freedom to be bold and to proclaim the authority of Jesus Christ. Not Jesus Christ is your best life now, but the authority of Jesus Christ. And we don't just proclaim his authority for standing in your stead, bearing the wrath of his Father as the Lamb. But we proclaim his authority as the Lion of Judah. The judge of the whole earth. And we don't think that people will become Christians and accept Jesus into their hearts if we tell them that he's a lamb. But not if we proclaim him as a lion. Because we don't make false antitheses. We don't see any disharmony between the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. The same one is both a lion and a lamb. And in our brains, we're perfectly comfortable with him being the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. And so when we go to someone, we don't preach forgiveness without repentance. We don't preach grace without the law. And we don't think people will be sanctified by warm, cuddly assurances and not threatened proclamations of the coming judgment to Christians. We begin to be 
fully integrated. But not integrated as the world wants to sell us integration, but integrated as God does, where there is no conflict between fear and love. There is no conflict between law and grace. There is no conflict between tender mercies and wrath when God is the one that holds them. And you say, but my daddy didn't love me. And I say, who cares? You have a father in heaven. And he is the standard for fatherhood. So you don't need a fatherhood who loved you. You don't need a daddy who took good care of you. You can have a bad daddy and then meet God and you're liberated to submit to authority. You're liberated to honor an abusive father. Do you understand? We do not need to be apologetic about authority. Because authority is the one thing that completely has shackled this world. And the way it's shackled this world is by refusing to submit to it. And so it's in bondage of rebellion and there's nothing that's more of a, of a hopeless slavery than rebellion. Think of what a young man becomes shackled by when he rebels. What does he do? What does a young man do when he rebels against the authority of God? First, he begins by disrespecting his mother. That's the first sign. It doesn't start with the dad. It starts with the mother always. So first, he just speaks in a disrespectful way to his mother. It doesn't appear to be much because he still is a little more respectful to his dad. Right? And then what happens? Well, then sometimes he argues back with his dad. And then what happens? Well, then he smokes dope in his bedroom. And then what happens? Well, then he starts wearing black. And then what happens? Well, it could go a variety of ways, but he might start he might start hanging out at the skate park. I mean, you know, that's not always bad. Some of my best friends are skaters, you know. That's a joke. And then what happens? Well, then he starts staying out later than his parents allowed him. And he starts stealing. Might be small at first, candy bar here. Starts smoking. Starts drinking. Starts speeding. Then maybe in a little while he kicks his father when his father's yelling at him. Not, not, not a huge deal. Then what happens? Well, then maybe when his mother pleads with him not to hang with that girl, he hangs with her. And maybe he starts betting her. And maybe a little crystal meth, you know, just a little bit. And what happens? Now tell me, is this man free? Is he free from that woman? Huh? He making an unhindered informed choice for that woman that he's going to bed with? He's decided to take her to bed, right? Right? Not a chance. She knew what was going to happen long before it ever dawned on him. 
And what about the drugs? Made it free and informed choice to use the drugs? No. And how about wearing black? Did he make a free and informed choice to wear black? No, it's the uniform. He was told to strip and put it on. And how about if he covers his body with tattoos? Is that free and informed choice? No, it's the uniform. How about the piercings? It's the uniform. It's perfect adolescent conformity. Is he free? Is he free of the authority of his parents? No. Every single thing he does, everything is perfectly understood solely by looking at what his parents don't want him to do. He is defined by submission to authority. But the opposite. And what will happen to him? What will happen to him is he will die. He will die. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, I can't believe he's talking specifically to me. And I tell you, I'm not. As I think about who's here, there are actually a whole bunch of people that that description is perfect for, represented by you this morning. So trust me, I'm not singling you out, your children, your parents. But then I ask you again the question, when we reject the authority of God the Father, when we reject the authority of Jesus Christ, when we reject the authority of the Word of God in its specificity, when we reject the authority of our president, of our constitution, we reject the authority of our state, of our city, of our school system, we reject the authority of our father and of our mother, and we reject the authority of our husbands. What are we? We are Adam back in the garden. He was commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He took it and he ate it. And the entire human race was condemned to death. And that's us. We have our way. And then God was merciful and provided his son, Jesus Christ, to turn aside his wrath against sinful man. And do you know what it says if you flip over to Mark? The very end of Mark. It's very interesting. Again, writers... Professors of English will tell you that the most important word in a sentence is the last one. The most important sentence in a paragraph is the last one. The most important paragraph in a chapter, the most important chapter in the book. All right? And so both these Gospels end with what? They end with this. Look at verse 14 of chapter 16, Mark, afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. 
But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And so God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be the Lamb of God. And God has said, those who believe on my son shall be saved, and those who disbelieve will be condemned. And that's it. That's the whole story of man. Adam chose to eat the fruit, and he died, and we die. And there's no hope. There's no hope. Education will not save you. It just won't. Education won't save anybody. But teaching and preaching and discipleship in the name of Jesus Christ with the specific content of Scripture will save us. All right? And what he says is if they believe, they will be saved. And if they disbelieve, they will be condemned. And what that means is they will be cast into hell eternally. And so those are the stakes. The stakes are very clear. Those who believe in Jesus and who submit to him as their Savior and Lord will be saved. And those who disbelieve will be condemned. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, but only the name Jesus Christ. And so what is all the talk of religious pluralism? All the talk of many paths leading to the same mountain top? It's the direct contravention of the explicit statement of Scripture that there is no other name. It is the direct contradiction of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what it is. And so what is the glory of a Christian? Not an evangelical, but a Christian. What is the glory of a Christian? You know what the glory of a Christian is? The glory of a Christian is, I am free to submit to authority. I'm free to submit to authority. You're not free. You're in bondage. Nanny, nanny, poo, poo. I'm free to submit to authority. And so I can dress in white. I don't have to dress in black. I don't have to pierce myself. I don't have to get tattoos on my rear end. I don't have to hang out at the skate park. I can hang out with my mama and listen to her read me fairy tales and wear a dress. Now, you know, I don't quite mean that, but but you get the point. Listen, I've always said, listen, I've always said that Christians are the weirdest people and the most diverse people and the people that are most inclusive and the people that are least racist and least sexist because we have freedom. We don't have to walk in lockstep with the culture. We're the one people that understand what the culture is feeding us and so we can say no to it. We're free. And that's why the people that are the most idiosyncratic in this world today are in churches on Sunday morning. They are the weirdest dudes there are. Because God has freed them. That's why. Now, this does not mean that Christians obey the speed limit and that wives say, Lord, to their husbands... And that 
Children say yes, sir, when their dad tells them to do something. In other words, Christians fail. But we fail in the right direction. You know? And all that means is that we're weird because just failing in the right direction and having your failures be the product of your culture actually is unbelievably weird still. In other words, just the slightest step off of the path of rebellion makes you unbelievably weird. And you can still fail at being submissive, but you're still unbelievably weird. (laughs) Because you might actually say, I failed, I wasn't submissive. And that in itself would make you weird. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How liberating is that? How liberating is that, huh? Some of you have had the experience of studying law. And for the first time ever, as you study law, reading the Constitution. And you've had this wonderfully liberating sense You know, like, do you mean to tell me that there are standards that the public servants of this country are supposed to submit to? And all of a sudden you feel this great freedom. Now imagine that you read Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And you think, do you mean that I don't have to go onto campus and, 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 and try to speak in such a way as not to offend anyone? And I say, well, look at Jesus. Did he offend anyone? You go, well, yeah, sometimes. And I say, you know, you're on the right path. <laughs> now read them again. Because sometimes doesn't quite get at it. You know, he died. Why did he die? Well, maybe because he was offensive. You're getting closer. And all of a sudden, instead of our whole goal being having the same grass of the same color with the same chem lawn, with the same lawnmower and the same trimming and the same car and the same cleanliness and the same bleach blonde hair and the same SUV and, and the same pension plan and the same, same flag on 4th of July and the same tattoos and the same piercings and the same, you know, whichever group you identify with, you know, In other words, yeah, I know, you can be a part of this group over here that rejects all of American bourgeois values. (laughs) You know, but then you're the same as every other homosexual. Absolutely the same. I mean, hey, do you know how predictable homosexuals are? I mean, some of you have been there and you're nodding your heads, you know? Yeah, you know how... and, And how predictable are druggies? You know? How predictable are they? In other words, yes, I know you cannot be like mainstream America and be a part of a tight-knit subculture, but that subculture is absolutely in bondage to rebellion, just like America is as it worships money and greed, is in bondage to rebellion against God who says the love of money is the root of all evil, to God who says you cannot... Love God and mammon, because you'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot love God and money. And so, yeah, you can reject mainstream America and say, I'm not going to love money, I'm just going to love dope. Or you can say, I'm going to love sports. Or you can say, I'm going to love homosexuality. You can say, I'm going to love interior design. I'm going to love the union. I'm going to love education. I'm going to love being a snob intellectually. 
and it's all rebellion. And the only question is, what particular delicacy you pick from the smorgasbord, the buffet? And it's all rebellion. It's all absolutely enslaved. And it's not until you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that you become weird in your own unique snowflake way. I promise you it's true. I have told people again and again, there ain't nobody as weird as Rita Cuffey. Nobody. And she's probably the most godly person I've ever known. And the first thing you saw when you walked in her house at 84 years old was this bookshelf right next to the front door and not clean, mind you. And hanging off of the top shelf of the bookcase was Count Chocula or what's the cereal? Is it Count Chocula? That was the first box, all right, an empty box of Count Chocula. And then, like this, starting, so, so like here's the shelf, right? And here's Count Chocula, just a tiny little bit of it sitting on the shelf and then the rest of it in air, okay? And then the next box of cereal was like this. The next one was like this and the next one. So the minute you came in your door, you were uneasy, You know, because there were these cereal boxes doing nothing in a living room. And they were there for years. They made, does any, are they still there? Or have they pulled them off? They've pulled them off. Now Campus Crusade uses this as sort of a house that their people live in. And uh, so apparently Count Chocula's gone. Rita was absolutely, completely, utterly unique. And why? Because she was under the authority of Jesus Christ. And therefore her life was characterized by submission to God. And so she submitted to a husband who, I won't say anything about him because he's dead. But some of you know. And she submitted to him and loved him. So next week, or whenever I start preaching again, I'm not sure whether I'm preaching next week, we're going to study the actual Great Commission, making disciples, baptizing, teaching. But until you understand the authority of Jesus Christ, you will never submit to the Great Commission in doing it. You're going to be apologetic, you're going to be blushing, you're going to be embarrassed, you're going to be, well, you know, I'm not sure about this, but I wonder sometimes whether, you know, you know, like, you know. And that's not proclaiming the gospel. That's apologizing for your existence. And we should not do that as representatives of the one who the Bible says all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And the minute you get that, the authority bit? The minute you get that, guess what? Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, you are free at last. Let's pray. Father God.